Sadly, we know that we have lost Oklahomans to, to this virus, and we know and can anticipate that this will continue to happen. What's going to change the game and keep things moving in the right direction at this point is really individual action. A lot of uncertainty, a lot of fear, um, but I'm just here to tell Oklahomans we are going to get through this. I'm Ben Felder with The Frontier, and this is COVID-19 in Oklahoma, a daily podcast bringing you the latest info and insight into how the coronavirus is impacting our state. Through interviews and conversations, this podcast is about context and clarity during this challenging time. Today is Saturday, April 4th. Well, hello, Cassie McClung. How's it going today? It's it's going pretty good. How are you doing? Good. Another Friday that doesn't feel anything like it. Yeah. Friday's kind of lost its meaning a little bit, but it is Friday. Yeah, it <laughs> has. I think I said this last week that um, the only thing, it's, tomorrow will be Saturday, and the only thing that really reminds me of Saturday is the noon tornado siren that goes off to test <laughs> every week. Yeah, that's how you're it's, keeping track of your time. Yeah, it kind of recalibrates me to, to the week, so... Well, yeah, so today is Friday and another day, another round of numbers. So let's start off with uh, what what are those latest numbers today? Sure. So it looks like the state is going to um, surpass a thousand confirmed cases tomorrow. So um, right now we're at 988 confirmed cases and that was up from 109 um, from Thursday. And it looks like Every day this week, we've had pretty um, significant jumps in the number of confirmed cases. And then there were 289 hospitalizations and 38 deaths. Yeah, those numbers keep uh, keep jumping. Once again, more tests, but also just, you know, more people in the hospital putting a strain on the system there. Um, You had a story uh, today that I want to get into here, but first, uh, just another big kind of news of the day that we won't necessarily get too much into, but just to reference, earlier this week on one of the episodes, uh, I had the non-doc, or, uh, Trace Savage of nondoc.com who came in and kind of talked about the legislature and some of the state government issues going on during this uh, pandemic, and at the time, it looked like the state was going to be facing a, a revenue failure of about of more than $200 million, so they're going to come short of their uh, budget for this fiscal year, okay. and then about another 400 million is what they're expecting for next year so obviously the economy has slowed because of the shutdowns and also the price of oil has plummeted uh, today it was reported that that revenue failure facing oklahoma is going to be about 416 million and on monday the state board of equalization is going to have a zoom conference call or conference meeting at 1 p.m on monday to certify that new figure so financially for the state uh, the budget is getting hit pretty hard and lawmakers are going to have to kind of figure out how to how to deal with a nearly half a billion dollar figure Right. So, Ben, I know it's, you know, it's wasn't announced too long ago, but have you been hearing, you know, from lawmakers about this yet or, you know, how they might try to fill in that almost, you know, $416 million hole in the budget? Yeah, I I mean, when the initial figure was over 200 million, what I was hearing was a lot of positive thoughts that they could make that they could make up for this. Of course, the rainy day fund. I believe has 800 million in it. Like I said, I would go back to that episode. Uh, Trace had a, had a lot of good information in that episode. Mm-hmm. But so there was a thought that they could make that figure up with the rainy day fund. And I suppose they still can. 
But if it's 416 million this year, and they were already expecting it to be more than 400 million next year, maybe that number is going to go up too. That's going to deplete the rainy day fund pretty soon. So I know that when the originally the figure was lower, or the estimate was lower, what I was hearing from lawmakers was they felt pretty confident that they could make the budget work and they could make next year's budget work without cutting mm-hmm. essential services. But you have to wonder if that's going to be in play now because the number just jumped up. Everything's pretty fluid right now. Yeah. And I know from talking to a lot of education, our educators and superintendents over the last couple of weeks, you know, they've said one of their biggest concerns besides the immediate challenge of school sites being closed is they wonder about the the future education budget because it felt like we were just now starting to kind of climb out of that hole um, after years of cuts. And I think a lot of superintendents are pretty skeptical that we aren't going to that we're going to see another round of cuts. So that'll definitely be something to uh, to keep our eye on here moving forward. And so, Cassie, uh, I referenced your story today. Um, you've been kind of taking a look at uh, coronavirus cases in nursing homes, which have kind of mm-hmm. become these 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 hot spots, not just here in Oklahoma, but all over the country. And, and originally, when this pandemic was was initially hitting the United States, we remember some nursing homes in Seattle that were getting hit pretty hard. But we mm-hmm. haven't always had access to great data. Uh, but it seems like it sounds like from your story that you've you've found out a little bit more of the numbers side of things. Uh, what can you tell us about that? Sure. So we talked about this a little bit last week. Um, I did a story about how the uh, state health department wouldn't release any data on how many care facilities like nursing homes were being investigated for COVID. Well, I should restart that. Well, they wouldn't give out the names or where they were of where um, COVID-19 cases were being confirmed or investigated. And um, they were citing privacy concerns for that. So last night, which was Thursday, for the first time, they started reporting how many deaths were connected to those uh, long-term care facilities. So they reported there were five. And then today, a spokeswoman emailed me even more data that I'd asked for last week. So um, we know now that there are 10 care facilities in the state that have confirmed COVID-19 cases. And one nursing home in Norman has 36 people infected with the virus. So that's a pretty um, decent size outbreak for that facility. So it's 33 residents and one staff member. So... um, I think the most other facilities had were three confirmed cases. So um, the virus is really spreading there, it sounds like. And that's it's a 136-bed facility. So there's uh, chances that we will see that number grow. And the health department is recommending, you know, if families have a relative who resides in one of these facilities, that they don't remove them from the facility because they're saying it would present a uh, dangerous public health situation and it could accelerate community spread of the virus. So it's a really, you know, hard situation there. But yeah, the health department, I have to say, has been getting, you know, progressively more transparent with what kind of data they're releasing to the public. And we've talked about this before, understandably, when we're Mm -hmm. talking about uh, health figures and identifiers, there's an initial desire to protect privacy. And that makes a lot of sense. Of course, mm-hmm. what we're dealing with right now, not that you throw privacy right out the window, but, you know, we're dealing with such a such an emergency 
that I think there's kind of a need to have access to maybe more information than we might expect with other mm-hmm. situations. And this is important because a lot of people, a lot of Oklahomans have uh, loved ones in some of these care facilities. And we've seen the reports of family members who have been advised not to go into nursing homes. A lot of nursing homes aren't letting people in. We've seen the photos of, of maybe a, a grandchild talking to their grand grandparents through mm-hmm. the window or something like that. Uh, but it's interesting that on the flip side, urging a lot of these residents to stay in these facilities because you don't want to you release that spread. Right, exactly. Um, but the health department, you know, like you said, going back to not releasing dad because of health or privacy concerns that, you know, there are the situation we're in right now, I think they're kind of, you know, doing it. It's They're more erring on the side of public service for this, you know. Um, the spokeswoman told me that, they're trying to help people make informed decisions about their health and hopefully, you know, giving some comfort for family members who have loved ones and facilities because up to this point, you know, not all facilities were publicly announcing if they had a case and the public didn't know which care facilities had cases. So I could see why, you know, it would be really concerning if you did have a family member in one of these and didn't know what was going on, especially with, this population being so much more vulnerable to this virus. Yeah, no, definitely. And uh, that story that posted Friday afternoon at readfrontier.org. So you have a list here of the uh, of these facilities across the state yes. and the number of confirmed cases they have. Uh, so readers can check that out. So I, I, I suppose then that we we may start seeing more numbers. Are they testing mm-hmm. the other residents in these in these facilities, or what what's the next steps for some of these places? That's a great question. Um, that's something I am working on. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, at this point, I don't know who's getting tested and who's not. Well, my assumption would be that we'd start to see tests in those facilities because mm-hmm. this week, uh, Governor Kevin Stitt is, has urged uh, doctors to start testing anyone who's come in contact with someone with a known case and to test anybody with symptoms. It's, it's felt like the last couple of weeks that uh, healthcare providers have been a little bit more discerning about who they test. And sometimes that feels like that's coming because of the directive of the state. Sometimes that feels like it's becoming the directive of doctors. But this week, Stitt has a few times during his press conferences tried to provide some clarity on what he would like done. And that is that we ramp up testing significantly to anybody right. who is any, even suspected of possibly having this. I, I feel like we say this all the time, but, and it's been, it's played out true though, but we will start seeing, you know, those numbers increase again. And uh, I think uh, our governor Stitt tweeted out a map today showing 13 satellite testing sites across the state. So, you know, that on top of the 13,000 and something kits the state has right now, I mean, that's a pretty significant jump from what we were seeing two or, you know, even a week ago. And we keep hearing that the testing capacity has increased uh, last week and this week again. And so this call to test more, uh, like I said, he's repeated it uh, several times this week. Uh, that's important, as we've said, for, for many reasons. One is you want to know if someone needs care, if, they want, if someone needs to quarantine themselves. But we also want to get a better handle of, of where this virus is spreading across the state. Right, of course. Um, and like we, you know, we talked about before, knowing how this virus is spreading and where and you know the infection rate really will help the state um, epidemiologists and experts model where this when the state's going to hit its peak um, how bad it can get here 
you know, how much, how many hospital beds we're going to need, how many ventilators we're going to need. And, um, you know, it will also help us get a better understanding of what our death rate is and what our hospitalization rate is as well. You know, I want to ask you about testing and the testing rate here in Oklahoma, because that's something that's that's received a lot of attention this week. Uh, there's been some national outlets. I believe Politico was one that kind of focused mm-hmm. on the, the testing rate in each state. And by some accounts, Oklahoma is dead last. Now, I have a couple questions about that that I've posed to some state health officials, and we can kind of get into what their answers were. Mm-hmm. But we're seeing testing done at, quote unquote, public labs. The Department of Health mm-hmm. is doing. And then we're also seeing a lot of tests done at private labs. And, and remind us, we we aren't getting back the negative numbers, right, from these private labs. I mean, we're getting confirmed cases, right. but we don't necessarily know how many tests these, these private labs are conducting, right? Right, exactly. And I think the state officials have, you know, have been saying for the past couple of weeks that the state isn't doing enough testing. But I don't know if there's a mu- enough data to say that, you know, where Oklahoma ranks with other states just because those private labs haven't been sending in their negative numbers and they have been doing the majority of testing in Oklahoma like the vast majority so we're missing a huge piece of the picture of how many people are actually getting tested here yeah earlier this week uh, you and I had a conversation for a podcast with Dr. Casey Shrum the Mm -hmm. uh, secretary of science and innovation and the deputy secretary Elizabeth Pollard and I, for a story I'm working on, I followed back up with them, uh, I think it was yesterday, and I asked them this question, and, and the answer that I got was twofold, that yes, testing hasn't, our testing numbers are low for a couple of reasons. One is because we don't have a great numbers from those private labs, mm-hmm. so we're not exactly sure what our, our accurate, our official rate is. But then two, over the last couple of weeks, uh, healthcare providers have kind of been very cautious about who they give out tests to because there's this right. feeling that we don't have enough tests. And, and that was the case at one point. But like mm-hmm. we said, now the state is telling people test, test, test. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see what kind of response we get from healthcare providers if we're going to continue to hear that they don't have enough tests or if we're going to just start to see the numbers really skyrocket because we're, we're, the, we're urging everyone to get tested. Right. And, you know, kind of going off of that, I wonder if people are getting the message that they can be tested now. Cause I feel like, you know, state officials have been drilling the message down for so long that only, you know, a very select number of people can get tested. So I, I'm just wondering if we'll see that come into play. And if, if not, like you said, you know, can they handle this kind of, you know, surge of test? So I think it'll be interesting just like, cause we've talked about this a lot, you know, like expecting, a big surge in the number of people being tested and that not always quite panning out how, you know, officials think it's going to. So I think, I think it'll be interesting to see kind of how this rolls out. And as we said before, that testing number is kind of, it's, it's not a complete picture because we're not testing everyone and there's a lot of issues around that, but those hospitalization numbers and those uh, death numbers, I mean, those are pretty accurate, right? I mean, if, if those are their needing um, intensive care, they're going to be in the hospital. And, and those who yeah. have died because of it are, are going to show up. And so, uh, you know, while, while we might say that the, the testing numbers are, are skyrocketing, or the, the confirmed cases are skyrocketing just because we're increasing the testing, mm-hmm. that may be the case. But we're also seeing those hospitalization and death numbers go up pretty significantly, too. 
Right. And, you know, something interesting, I read a story in the Oklahoman the other day by Chris Castile, and he interviewed a doctor who said even, you know, the death rates could be undercount or the number of deaths could be undercounted just because, you know, how testing is going and certain deaths might not appear to be linked to COVID-19, but actually could be because it can cause, you know, cardiac issues and um, you know, unless the state's testing people post-mortem, it's hard to capture those numbers. And on top of that, uh, if you look at um, the health department has been releasing daily reports on hospitalization numbers. And there's actually, I think, you know, two to 300 people under investigation mm. who are hospitalized um, who also could have the virus. Because So those hospitalization numbers could be significantly higher than what we think. Yeah. And that's really where, like we've said before, that's really where the emergency comes into play because of the health system being inundated with these with these cases. And that's why the state mm-hmm. said this week that they're looking at potentially increasing hospital capacity in Oklahoma by 40 percent and looking mm-hmm. at, uh, you know, these coronavirus hospitals. You know, we may be opening up old hospitals or uh, I was talking to a source yesterday who who told me that the state has been in contact with school districts uh, in Tulsa Public Schools about whether or not they have a facility that could be turned in wow. um, to a temporary hospital. So there's there's definitely preparation going in, in to prepare for those hospitals, hospitalization numbers to really increase. Yeah, that's really interesting, too, because we haven't, you know, obviously the state's still on the early end of this, but we haven't, you know, seen the kind of hospitalization numbers reported yet that, you know, could warrant opening up new facilities. So it's just, it's hard to imagine right now. Yeah. And, and you've mentioned that we're on the early stages of this. And I think that's interesting because when I was talking to, to Dr. Shrum this week, she kind of kept saying that. And when we were talking mm-hmm. about the low rate of testing, she said, well, you also have to remember that we, you know, we weren't one of the early states to get hit with this. We were one of the last mm-hmm. states. And that that's true. And, and that kind of accounts for maybe why it seems like there's a little bit of a lag here. But it's also maybe not that comforting <laughs> that we're one of the last right. ones um, that it feels like we still, you know, may not be close to to our peak yet. Yeah, and I think that's part of it that's kind of, you know, so unsettling with a lot of people is that there is a lot of uncertainty. And I know officials have talked about, you know, a late April peak uh, for a patient surge. but you know, they're also discussing other models that are being done in state that we still really haven't heard very much about. Well, one of the ways, the primary way we're, we're trying to ensure that that peak comes sooner rather than later is by sheltering in place, uh, staying in our homes, not leaving except for essential tasks and work. So let's talk about that a little bit. And Cassie, did you see this map from the New York Times? Uh, I think it was yesterday is when it was kind of making the rounds, but it showed a county by county breakdown of how far people are traveling um, I did. during the day and yeah. uh, it got a lot of attention and maybe a lot of some uh, defensive responses mm-hmm. uh, from the southeast region of the of the country and maybe rightfully so it did show this kind of big red area which included Oklahoma and Texas but the southern United States as where people are still traveling you know more than two miles a day or, or a larger percentage of people are, are traveling right. two miles a day than other parts of the of the country one of the responses to that that I was thought was interesting is someone shared a map that showed uh, the percentage of people who live more than two miles away from a grocery store, and it, it looked very similar to to the map that was shared by the Times. 
Right. And I think that's something that, um, you know, needs to be kept in mind. And obviously, you know, Oklahoma hasn't put in a place as strict of, um, I guess, restrictions as other states have. But, you know, Oklahoma and a rural community, and especially, you know, the cities have a lot of food deserts as well. I guess the whole state does, but people are going to have to drive further sometimes to get to basics like grocery stores and pharmacies. So that could be skewing the number a little bit. Now, don't get me wrong. I It would not surprise me to see Oklahoma is one of the states where people are not heeding that message quite right. as much. I mean, it's it's obvious that people, majority of people are. I mean, the, the streets are 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 largely deserted, at least compared mm-hmm. to a normal Friday as I look out my window. But even today, uh, Oklahoma City Mayor David Holt uh, held a, a press conference and he kind of sternly told the, the city, like, you got to take this seriously. And so it sounded mm-hmm. like he was responding to numerous cases where people weren't. And one of the things he said was stop trying to find loopholes. Uh, and he was speaking to like businesses. And he said, if, if that tells me you don't value the lives of your workers and your families and your community. So uh, right. a little bit of a of a shame tactic for the, for the mayor today. So maybe that speaks to the fact that, yeah, maybe people aren't taking that as seriously. Now in Oklahoma city, mm-hmm. they're in Tulsa, many other cities, there's a shelter in place order. One thing I want to talk about with you is so what do we, what's the dif- the difference between a, a shelter in place order and mm-hmm. a an order that just closes essential businesses, which we've seen in, now statewide from Governor Stitt? Mm-hmm. And yesterday at a press conference, he was asked about his order and how it compares to other states that have a shelter in place order, and he said they were virtually the same. Are they? You know, that's a good question. You know, we kind of talked about earlier uh, before we started up, you know, what is the difference? And the big difference is, is, you know, shelter in place has you at home and it closes all those businesses. And then Stitt's order kind of just closes non-essential businesses. So if you go out, you really have nowhere to go. But I feel like ordering a shelter in place kind of comes across as, you know, more serious or stern, maybe, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it definitely feels like it's, it's. I don't know if more serious is the right word, but maybe so. I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. shelter in place is, is, you know, commanding you to stay in home versus just closing right. businesses, like you said, and just having nowhere to go. Right. Just to be clear on what, like, shelter in place means, and, and Mayor Holt outlined this, and this is the same for Tulsa and many other cities, is it means stay at home. Like, you, you don't leave home except for mm-hmm. if, if you work at an essential company or business and you have an essential task such as getting food or medicine or something like that now he did say again like you can go out for physical exercise just keep six feet of distance and don't play on playgrounds or basketball courts or tennis courts it's interesting it's like you said you know oklahoma city and tulsa have kind of the mayors have kind of you know taken stronger action what do you think the differences between you know what the mayors are saying and what the governor is saying because you know uh mayor holt and mayor bino have kind of specifically said you know, stay at home. I, I really think it's, I do think the orders are different. Now, mm-hmm. it's interesting to me because the city of Oklahoma City and Mayor Holt has said, hey, we think our order and the governor's order are essentially the same. Now, maybe he's, right. Mayor Holt is speaking directly to the closure of essential businesses. But in a lot of ways, this feels like it's the tone. Because, and, and I wrote a story on Friday about kind of Stitt's approach to this and how he kind of harks back to this personal responsibility as being the real key. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to me because on one hand, it feels like he is saying, 
I can I can't force you guys to do this. You got to have to take it seriously, and Oklahomans have to do this for themselves, which is right. true. It I can see why people would be critical of that and say, well, you're just kind of you're not doing enough. But at the same time, that's the same message we're hearing from Mayor Bynum in Tulsa and Mayor Holt in Oklahoma City. I mean, they're saying yeah. we can pass all these rules, but you guys have to take it seriously. So I I can see the governor sitting here today thinking, I feel like I'm saying the same thing as everyone else. Why am I getting mm-hmm. beat up about it? But his order is different. I mean, it is not telling people that they have to stay in their in their homes and i guess if he's coming at it from the point of well i've closed down all the businesses so they have nowhere to go now that's questionable our our colleague clifton adcock wrote a story this week taking a look at how some businesses are are being claimed as essential that may not be but uh but there does seem to be some difference between the shelter in place and what the governor is doing and there's some difference from city to city A, a lot in this week um issued a shelter in place order and their council actually imposed a curfew of 11 p.m. to 5 a.m. and they're requiring their residents if they're going to be driving to work to an essential business they have to have a letter from their employer stating that they're essential i mean i was shocked to see that yeah. from the city of lawton i know i was surprised they were the first ones to do that because i feel like you know norman tulsa and oklahoma city have kind of been the first cities to pull trigger the trigger on uh, policies like that. So I feel like Lawton, to me, kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah. And um, it was funny because you mentioned Norman, and I think uh, Mayor Bria Clark is probably right. probably one of the most progressive mayors in the state, if not the the most. And and she was the first to issue a shelter-in-place order. Um, and I think maybe the first or to close businesses or at least it on the same day as Oklahoma City and Tulsa. So she's been kind of ahead of ahead of most people on this. Um, I tweeted out what Lawton had done, did, and I, someone who I assume was Norman, like tweeted at Mayor Clark and said, "All right, don't get any bright ideas here, because <laughs> this definitely, this definitely felt like the thing that you would see from Norman, and not right. necessarily Lawton." Yeah, I am curious um, to know what you know. The other mayors, like Mayor Bynum, uh, the mayor in Norman, Oklahoma City, like what they think about an order like that. Yeah, and and Mayor Holt was asked about that today, whether okay. or not um, he felt like a curfew was necessary, and he said he didn't feel like we're running into any problems that that would be solved by a curfew. I mean, I think his yeah. biggest problem was that there were still people going, playing basketball, and and just still congregating in different ways. But he said that he didn't feel like a curfew would solve any problems that Oklahoma City is having. Speaking of like congregating and going out, I've I've talked to you about this before, about the, the, the park I live next to. And right. I tweeted this yesterday. I, I saw a police officer pull up into the parking lot of the park, and he started walking towards this basketball court. And so I went on the back porch because I was just fascinated to watch. Like, what is, I assume he's going to go tell these people that they shouldn't be congregating. And right. I, was not, I was not close enough to hear what he had to say. But he walked up. There were 13 people playing basketball on the court. He spoke with him, three people left, and then the police officer went back in his car. So my assumption huh. was, as he said, you know, you can't have more than 10 people congregating. That's the, that is uh, a state, that is a statewide order and a city order. Right. Uh, and so literally this, this basketball game, which had 13 people, they just had to have three people left, which so <laughs> there are still 10 people playing basketball. Now, the mayor in response to my tweet said, hey, they shouldn't even be doing that at all because the city basketball courts should be closed. But I just, right. I, I kind of thought that was funny because obviously there's nothing really magical about 13 versus 10. Right, um, but know, it's just that magic number, though. Yeah, and uh, and and people have said, hey, 10 is the is the number we've imposed, but you know, you really ought to 
you know, even take it down even further than that. And obviously keep your, your, your six feet of distance between, between other people. So interesting to watch and, and we'll see, I, I haven't got any sense that we're going to see any more orders from the state in terms of a shelter in place. Yeah. Um, but once again, this is, you know, this is a lot farther along for the state than we were just a week or two ago when the governor just was focusing on, on 19 counties. It's now, now a statewide order. Right. That's true. I haven't, yeah, like you said, I haven't gotten the tone from the governor at all that he's considering any further measures. So um, I'm wondering if anything would be on the table at all, or if, you know, we're just going to kind of ride this out as is right now. Well, we'll, uh, we'll have to wait and see. The numbers are still going up. We haven't hit that peak yet, but hopefully we're doing enough to see that peak come um, here right. in, in the coming weeks and, and not coming months. Yeah. Well, hey, Cassie, thanks so much for your time today. Um, hopefully you. you get some semblance of a weekend, and uh, I guess we'll talk to you again soon. Yeah, you do. Have a great weekend. Try to get some rest. Um, enjoy watching people get kicked out of the park by your home. Yeah, it's it's a good pastime. Just sit on the back porch with a beer <laughs> and watch it happen. So, all right, Cassie, take care. You. All right, see you, Ben. That's going to do it for today's episode. You can find more COVID-19 coverage at readfrontier.org. For The Frontier, I'm Ben Felder. Stay safe and healthy, and I'll be back with you on Sunday.